Hello, and welcome back to The Scriptures Are Real. I'm your host, co-host. I say that every time. I don't know why. But I'm your co-host, Lamar, and this is Gary Mulestein. Hi, Lamar. Hey, how's it? It's back, good to be back with you again. Yeah. Hey, I'm real excited about this. We're, we're, we're wrapping up uh, the end of Genesis, and we're going to move into Exodus, and there's some action-packed chapters coming up here. So I'm real excited to get into this with you and talk about this. Um been a few weeks since we uh since we chatted so i'm really looking forward to uh to talking about these new chapters well so am i this is exciting i love this part of the story i love this transition i love everything about it i mean we're in both the bible and egypt at the same time nothing makes me happier <laughs> yeah and i don't know you probably can't say much now but you're gonna be heading over to egypt soon and and you'll probably have some good announcements uh when you get over there yeah by by the time uh by the time this uh, actually comes out i should be in egypt by then so excellent uh, well yeah. I'll, someday i'll get over there and join you but until then i'll um man the home front here <laughs> that sounds, sounds good sounds all right good. hey uh okay so for our listeners uh or viewers depending on uh, you know who's watching and who's reading and or listening we're going to wrap up the end of genesis probably 50 here we've gone through most of this here and you've covered it with other guests as well Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, we've covered all that. We're now at the point where um, Joseph is wrapping up his story and he's going to leave his legacy. And then we're going to jump right into Moses and, and his whole story. But let's cover, uh, just like we're going through a student in class, I'm going to ask you some questions about this and maybe you can help enlighten some of us on, on how, this, uh, how the story wraps up with Joseph. And how we go from being um, the number two governor in Egypt to being in bondage in a pretty short period of time, relatively speaking. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd love to, to talk about that. Yeah. Okay. All right. So at the beginning of chapter 50, um, we have the, the story of Joseph uh, and, his, and his father and his brothers come, and he basically rescues them from the famine. Right. And we know, we were talking a little bit before the show, and we were doing some quick addition. We know that Joseph is about 39 years old there. It tells us there yeah. the, 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 kind of, the kind of math that we're, we're working with. So Joseph is about 40 years old, 39, yeah. 40 years old. Okay. Yeah, well, he's 39 when his brothers come uh, to, the, to begin with, and then it, they come back a couple of years later, and then it takes a while for Jacob to come down. So he's probably a little over 40 by the time uh, that he and his father are reunited. So in verse 1... Jacob has died, and Joseph is seeing his father lying in state there. And um, so he kisses him. And so now Jacob has died. Joseph is mourning his father there. That's what happens in the first part of Genesis 50. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that uh, you get these little touch of Egyptianisms in here. Uh, so it says 40 days were fulfilled for him. So Joseph commands him to embalm him. And in verse 30, 40 days were fulfilled for him. So were fulfilled the days uh, of those which are embalmed, which is interesting because the Egyptians typically talk about embalming be a 70 day process. But look at the next phrase and the Egyptians mourned for him three score and 10 days, which is 70 days. Oh, so, yeah. uh, so in the end, I, it makes me wonder if the embalming process itself only took 40 days, but the uh, all the rituals and the morning rituals and so on associated with it extended out to 70 days or, or if uh, 
the 40 days is just that symbolic. It took a long time, but we know that this process actually took 70 days. Uh, you know, so you may get a mixing of Hebrew and Egyptian uh, symbolic numbers in there. And that's right. why you get both 40 and 70, but, but you get this little touch. I mean, 70 is what I expect as an Egyptologist. So he's, okay. he's got them uh, embalmed there in Egypt. Okay. That's great. That's good to know. I didn't know about, about the Egyptian customs. So, okay. So three score and 10 days, I'm going to have to make a note in my scriptures right here that that is the Egyptian time. All right. Yeah. Good. All right. So Jacob is now um, dead and buried and Joseph. So this chapter is only 26 verses long and Joseph ages very fast in this. Yeah. Uh, in verse seven, he buries his father. Um, and, uh, and then we go, let's see, let me drop down here a little bit. Talks about the burying place. Now, by the way, I wanted to ask you, do we know where he buries him? He, he says where he goes yeah, to. He, he buries him at Machpelah, which is where Abraham isaac sarah um rebecca are right. are buried presumably now we know rachel's buried up near bethlehem because that's where she died giving childbirth but presumably uh leah is buried there it's in hebron the, the tomb of the patriarchs is still a place you could go to today if if you feel brave it, sometimes there's some unrest in that area but a very holy place for both jews and and muslims uh and for me uh, because uh, Abraham and and uh, this all these great patriarchs and matriarchs are buried there, so it's not it's, very far from the Gaza Strip, really. No, no, and, and it's uh, I mean it's just not even like far southern Israel. It's kind of central southern Israel. I yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's that's where there's a lot of unrest. I'm looking for the phrase. He go they go to the threshing floor. Where's that? Uh, yeah, that's uh, looking for that phrase. So maybe explain a little bit about why they go to the threshing. Floor. Threshing floors end up being kind of important places, and it's in verse 10. They came to the threshing verse floor 10, of Atad, yes. uh, which is beyond Jordan, and there they mourned him with a great and very sore lamentation. Threshing floors end up um, playing an important role in a lot of cultures, um, and I'm not sure we fully understand why. We get at least some of it. And it's first of all, you have to find a good spot for a threshing floor. So there's often just one per village or something right. like that, right? Kind of a great level, big, hard. Great big flat spot. Yeah, yeah. And um, and uh, so it ends up being a place that's important that often is guarded. So, for example, often someone will stay the night if they've threshed, but not been able to gather all up the grain. They'll stay the night there to make sure no one comes and steals it, because that's right when it's going to be easy for someone to steal it. Someone's done all the work. Now it's it's portable and ready to be taken off. Um, so as a result of that, sometimes business is transacted there. But I feel like there must be something more going on here. For example, it's a threshing floor that uh, David purchases that then the temple is built there. Exactly. Um, and some of that may be because, well, yeah, it's a level, rocky place. That's a good place to build something. Right. Um, it's level and hard and you can yeah. put heavy stuff on. Yeah, but uh, but it, it takes on in lots of cultures. Uh, and I think it's because of how important threshing is and the fact that uh, there are some communal properties and uh, uh, some guarding properties, but probably more anyway, it takes on a, it's a high valued area for cultural communities. Yeah. It's in a way, it's like a public square. Yeah. Um, or a market, maybe a better way to say it is like, it's maybe a marketplace. Yeah. Or a forum um, almost a forum. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. I just thought it was interesting that we have, again, we're at the threshing floor. And of course, like, like you just mentioned, it's a threshing floor that they purchased that becomes a temple. So yeah. I just thought that was interesting. That they go to the first, but typically, or not typically, but uh, 
this specific place. We do we know where this is exactly? Well, I, we don't. I mean, it's got to be somewhere close to Makvela or Hebron. They just call it uh, Abel Mitzrayim, which is the, the, the morning of the Egyptians. Uh, because so it's, I think it has to be right by those caves. It has to be a place where they would, uh, do their mourning as they're about to go in and, uh, and bury him. And maybe that's why they stopped there is it's the place that's large enough for them to have kind of, uh, almost like a eulogy or something. I don't know what they did, but they, they go through their mourning ceremony before burying him. Well, and that's a ways away from Egypt. I mean, we're. This oh is, yeah, this is a long it, ways. Jacob, uh, I mean, Joseph has had a great big entourage go up there. Yeah, it's it's like he takes all of his house with him and servants, and I mean, it's a big caravan that goes yeah. out. That goes out, and yeah, and his brothers' houses, and I mean, everyone. I may have this not exactly right, but if I remember, I, I think I want to say it's like from Egypt, and of course, we don't know exactly where in Egypt he was if he was. In Cairo it was in the Goshen area, so Goshen it's area. kind of north, uh, northeast of Cairo. Not north, but it's about 400 miles, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, I'd have to Am look I, that up, but it's, it's a good long ways. I mean, it's, uh, it is a long, long, long day's bus ride is what it is. So, uh, <laughs> you, well, you, it, is it, can you get there in one day? You can, but okay, it's, so it's, it's a long day. Then. Well, yeah. you, you can drive 400 miles in a day. I'll, I guess you could. I, I was thinking those buses don't go very fast, but anyway, yeah. I mean, you can drive from here to Salt Lake, you know, from Phoenix to Salt Lake and, and, you know, that's 600 miles. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's, but anyway, it's, it's a good long ways. And when you're dealing with camels and a whole giant caravan, like I said, if I remember my geography, I think I want to say it's somewhere around 400 miles, give or take, I'll look it up. And if someone wants to put in the comments that I'm a moron and they don't know what I'm talking about, then fine. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know it's only 396 but anyway it's a long way so a whole big caravan goes up there but it's important for him uh it's important for joseph to bury his father in the land of his fathers so up in up in that area right okay and, and then you get this this beautiful uh exchange where you you have um maybe a little bit of leftover of unfinished business now that jacob is dead joseph's brothers are afraid are you gonna are you gonna punish us now it's the only reason right. you were avoiding this. Yeah, now that dad's you gone. you didn't want to make dad upset. Uh, you know, we, we all felt bad when dad was unhappy about what happened with the children, but maybe now you're going to come out against us. And it makes me wonder if they'd never told Jacob uh, the full story, you know, and so, that, that, you know, everyone's keeping up happy pretenses to keep dad happy, right? They do say, well, dad said, don't do, don't forgive us and don't do anything bad to us, right? So is that true? Or did they just say that? In the end, I don't know, but they're definitely afraid. But I love Jesus, uh, Joseph's answer um, where they say in verse uh, 18, you know, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, fear not for I'm, uh, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. So it, Joseph is so fantastic about this. He's like, I know you didn't have great intents, but it was God's plan. It's all in God's plan. So let's not sweat the details. Let's just uh, let's just move forward and uh, and be brothers rather than servants. And and we get then he says, now, therefore, fear you not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Uh, I mean, so it's so fantastic because he is in a position where he can do them harm. And oh, yeah. instead he says, I'm going to take care of you. God put me in this position so that I could take care of you. 
and I'm going to take care of you. That's, that's beautiful to me. That's great. And I know that the come follow me manual um, makes a, a big section out of, out of this uh, verse 20 meant it unto good. So, yeah. um, and, and they, of course, you know, the manual is always asking questions. What things in your life um, might have started? I don't know exactly how it phrases it, but that's what they're getting at is what things in your life could you, that started out bad can be turned to good. So, yeah. And um, I can see plenty in my life. Oh, I mean, yeah. Plenty of times where we're like, whoa, this is not how this was supposed to go. Oh, hey, this hey, worked out okay. Yeah, that worked out. And, and yeah. some of the things that you learn in life, yeah. you would not have been there. I mean, what's the chances that he would have ended up as the number two person in Egypt? He could have known that from the bottom of a pit, <laughs> you know, being thrown in by his brothers. He, yeah. How would he know that? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's great. That's perfect. So, um, men unto good. And so he nursed him. So, okay. So now we take a big jump here, though. In verse 21 to 22, uh, and Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he in his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. So now we know that he lived 10 years, but we're talking about the time that Jacob dies. Yeah, well, we don't know how long Jacob, how, exactly. how much longer Jacob died, but I right. mean, he, he can't. But it's somewhere after forever. 40, right? Yeah. And um, so somewhere after 40, and then we also know that he's 10. And so in the next four verses, the whole world changes for the Israelites. Yeah. And there may be some symbolism going on here as well. So, for example, Jacob lives to be 120 years old. Well, that's kind of the ideal age for the Israelites. 120, it's 12 multiplied by 10, right? And 12, he has 12 children. It's symbolic. It's uh, 12 is symbolic of like uh, rulership and, and so on. And so as the head of the house of Israel to live 10 times 12, that's perfect, right? So maybe he did literally live to be that old. And maybe that's just a, a way of saying he lived to the ripe, old, perfect old age. Now, interestingly, and I don't know why, I don't know the symbolic reason behind this, but for the Egyptians, really kind of the ideal ripe old age to live to is 110. So how old does Joseph live to? 110 years old, 110. right? Yeah. So does that mean he really lived to 110 years old? Or is that a, a way of saying he lived to a ripe old age, right? Like right. for us, we'd kind of say, yeah, she lived to be 100 years old, right? That just right. means she, she lived to be really old. Long time. Um, yeah. and, uh, and that may be the same thing going on here for both Jacob and Joseph. May not be literal, but still. We know it's a long time because we, we see in the next couple of verses that he's, he's got a uh, you know, third generation of children that he's with. So he's a great grandpa by the time uh, he's all done. And, and so that, he'd love to be at least fairly old if that happened, because we know he didn't get started uh, having children until after he was 30. So uh, he wasn't a, uh, like super old, but he wasn't a spring chicken either, when he, especially for their society. He was old. Right, right. And I like what you said there in verse 23, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. So great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren. Yeah. And the children of, of Makar, how do you say that? Makir? It's Makir. Yeah. Makir. Uh -huh. uh, and the son of Manasseh were brought up on Josephine's. I think it's a great image. He, he, has, he has a family around him. He sees his three generations grow up underneath him, and they grow up on his knees. So, you know. He, he he grew up with these people. They grew up around him. I just think that's a neat phrase. Grow up on Joseph's knees. Yeah, you can picture him as the grandpa bouncing his children, right? <laughs> right. And it's just a it's a touching image. Yeah, I like that. Dandling them is the you know the English phrase of that, I guess. But yeah, right. Um, now, for those of you following along in the LDS scripture, verse twenty four. If you look at the Joe Smith translation, there's a whole big section that gets inserted, and you can read yeah. that. 
on your own. Carrie, you have anything to, to add? On I just, that? I just want to add maybe the first, because I love um, the first verse of that, mm-hmm. um, where Joseph said it versus uh, Genesis, Joseph Smith translation of Genesis 50 verse 24. Mm-hmm. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die and go unto my fathers, which is the same thing that it said uh, in, in verse 33 of chapter 49 about uh, Jacob, that he was gathered unto his people and Joseph is going to his father. So this image that, uh, I mean, you can tell Isaac had such respect for Abraham and then Jacob has such respect for Isaac and Abraham and Jacob's sons have such as many problems as that family had, those kids loved their parents. They loved their parents. And you can tell it about Jacob's parents and, and the, uh, you know, I mean, Jacob's children and his children. What seems to have pained them the most was the pain that they caused their father when they did something wrong. Right. And uh, and uh, so the fact that Joseph wants to go be with his fathers, he's going to be gathered to his fathers, which is a phrase that we see uh, in a number of cultures. But it's, it's a really important phrase. So but then after that, so I go down unto my fathers and I go to my grave with joy. The God of my father, Jacob, be with you to deliver you out of affliction in the days of your bondage. Now, but just think of that. So he's, he's leaving this blessing that he wants the God of his fathers. In other words, Jehovah, who they made a covenant to bless them, but he can go to his grave in joy because he's going to be gathered to his fathers. Uh, and he knows that he's been a good person. He's kept his covenant. He's, he, he knows he's going to be with those good people who've kept their covenants and they'll be together again. And, and as someone who is, lost his father. Uh, I can picture that. Uh, I mean, I don't want to leave my wife and my kids, but I do think that the day I get to go see my dad and say, dad, did I do okay? Right. Did, did, uh, are you feeling good about what I did? That'll be a good day. I agree. That's a, that's a great image too. Um, and, and again, uh, the respect that, that they have for their, their forebears, um, and their parents is, uh, should we should model that same kind of respect which you'll see in the 10 commandments of course right you know honor thy father and mother yeah so yeah great images and now according to this section here um joseph knew what was going to happen according to the 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 the, uh the the translation that joseph smith provides he knew what was happening he tells them what's going to happen so they're going to have to come into bondage they're going to need a deliverer this doesn't seem to be news uh, I don't know how well recorded or how well spread his prophecy was. Uh, it certainly doesn't uh, uh, stay in the record for forever. So it no. may not have been really well, uh, uh, I guess, broadcast. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he knew. And you know, again, we also, we don't know. We've talked about it before in previous podcasts. We don't know if, uh, if Joseph Smith is seeing into the mind of, of Joseph some and in, enlightening in, in us. Sometimes we find... Yeah. That Joseph Smith translates not from an actual uh, piece of parchment or paper or, or yeah. record, but he 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 gets a revelation on that. So I don't know what what he sees or how Joseph Smith comes across this information, but this is the information that he says that Joseph had with him that he was able to yeah. see these things. He knew it was going to happen. He, yeah, it may not have been in the process. Bible originally, but it was in <clears throat> something somewhere, and Joseph is giving it to us. Right, that's right. Yeah. So anyway, that's a whole big section that, that uh, the LDS scriptures will have in verse 24 that gets inserted. But it's that's for the worth rest reading. Of, yeah, it's, it's a great, great section. Well, he basically lays out what's going to happen. It yeah. talks all about what's going to happen to Judah. And it's a, it's a great foreshadowing of all the things that are going to happen through, through um, well, not just Exodus, but all the way 
down to this generation. There's a few yeah. echoes that go all the way down to uh, to our day. Yeah, and Joseph Smith. In fact, if you read that Joseph Smith translation and Second Nephi three, then you get a new appreciation for what a prophet Joseph was, which makes me suspect that there's a lot more that could give us an appreciation for what a prophet Jacob was, and Isaac was, and Abraham yes. was that we just don't have all the information we could, but I, I, I suspect we'd go, wow, there's a prophet. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's what I kind of, I, I got out of all of section 50. We have some very poignant pieces that we read and then there's a big jump and then yeah. a poignant piece and then a big jump. Yeah. And we go from, we go from Joseph being in his forties to 110 or whatever yeah. and dying. So, I mean, we're, we're obviously missing some, some of the day-to-day history there, but we have, the important parts that tell us, you know, what, what Joseph was about, what the, you know, where the, the children of Israel are heading and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so in verse 24, 25, um, uh, Joseph took an oath of the children of Egypt saying, God will surely visit you and shall carry up my bones from hence." And then verse 26. So Joseph died being 110 years old. Uh, that's interesting. You'd mentioned that's the yeah. ideal Egyptian age. So we see maybe a blending of cultures there. And maybe he was exactly 110 years old. I don't know. Yeah. And they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Right. So. But they have, they have to bring him out when they come out. I love the way they depict that in, uh, in the Ten Commandments movie. I can, I can still hear the song where they're, they're carrying him along. And they're like, Joseph, many colors was his coat. Right. And all this stuff. Right. Anyway, <laughs> just this great image of, of uh, I, I would guess as they came out that they were pretty serious about fulfilling this promise and bringing Joseph's. Uh, bones and, and body to be buried with his father's with his father's. Yeah. 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 And his, his, well, not with his mother. She was in Bethlehem. I, I think he would have liked it if they could have all been together, but anyway, wow. but then so the scene changes, huh? Oh yeah. That, that, well, that wraps up Joseph. So uh, I wanted to just get, get a, a button on that, that rest of Joseph and, and the, the early patriarchs uh, um, through Genesis. And so now we move into Exodus. And now and it's almost hard to leave Abraham, I, Jacob, Joseph, I know. And, and Isaac behind. I mean, just uh, as many problems as their families had, you, you just kind of feel like, hey, these are these are God's guys. These are my guys. Uh, you know, Rachel and Rebecca, they're 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 my mothers. Right. And it's hard to leave them behind. But I guess we have to leave them behind. I so. know it's, it's great. The 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 information we get out of Genesis uh, is really interesting. Like we've talked about before, it's the story. Basically, the the Bible is the story of Abraham and his family. Yeah. That's what it is. I mean, there's yeah. other people in there, of course, but it focuses mainly on those people and his, his direct descendants. So anyway, all right. So we're going to leave that and we go into Exodus. Now, in the space of not a very long time, from the time that Jacob dies, and he was the number two, he was the governor in, in Egypt and the number two in charge right under Pharaoh. Now, I, I, I imagine he kept that title through his whole life. Yeah, I would guess so. But now, so he goes from there. It's not a very long time. Another, the Pharaoh dies that he was under. And we often think of that as Ramses II. Is that correct? The one that, that, uh, well, no, 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 so, no, 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 no. That that's the Ramses, later one. The later one, right. Yeah. It, so it's we, hard to tell how much time happens in between here, right? Because you right. just get Joseph died and all his brethren, and all that generation, and the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceedingly might and the land was filled with them. So that gives you the idea. Okay. There's, there's at least several generations. Then we get, now there arose a, a new King over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. So that's verse um, eight. Uh, yeah. And, one, and that's, I, I don't think that means like 
this is someone who had never personally known Joseph. I, I think there's something else going on. So there's there may be a number, especially with that idea of how they've waxed mighty and the land's filled with them. There may be a number of generations in there, maybe 100 years. I don't know what um, uh, that you get um, this. Uh, and actually, I will make an educated guess here in just a second. But you you get this idea uh, elsewhere in the Bible, like in, in Genesis 12 and other places where it talks about how long they're they're gone. And they seem to be in there for 400 years. Um, and, uh, like almost a hundred of that is Joseph is alive, right? Well, not quite, but maybe, maybe 70 years of that. And, uh, so then maybe it's a hundred years after that, something I don't know, probably around there, because when it says a Pharaoh arose, arose, which knew not Joseph, or it doesn't say Pharaoh, it says King over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. Um, I don't think that means he didn't know him personally, but I think it means he didn't have respect for Joseph right. and what he had done. Right. So if we're going to try and position this historically, uh, I, I, we, I, let me just say we don't really know. So everything is educated guesses, but I think pretty good educated guesses. Like we have enough evidence to say this is a really compelling case. I don't know that we can say this is what happens for sure, but compelling. So I suspect that Joseph is part of the Hyksos. I think we've talked about that in an earlier mm -hmm. uh, episode um, where uh, the this foreign Semitic group have taken over Egypt and they seem to rule. And it's hard to know exactly, you know, when we really consider them ruling part of Egypt, all of Egypt or something. But they do rule for uh, a bit over 100 years or so, it's, uh, give or take. And um, and then the there's a group from Thebes southern egypt that kicks them out uh, and chases them all the way out of egypt and even up into the, the canaan area and they don't ever want to see these guys again they don't want to have any chance any kind of semitic influence ever has uh, any or any kind of semites have uh, political influence over them again they hate these guys they hate them they cannot these guys, the define who these guys the, the are. hyksos the, those right. foreign rulers so these egyptians we use terms like the filthy vile foul foreign rulers, right? I mean, that's what they do. They just throw in all these epithets. If they're going to mention them, they're going to say three or four times how much they hate these guys. Um, so they do not want Semitic rulers again. So I suspect when it talks about a king who knew not Joseph, what it means is a king who didn't like any of the Semitic influence and Joseph and the Israelites would be considered a Semitic influence. They're associated with the Hyksos. And so they're, the natural thing is then to, to not trust them, to say, okay, well, we've got these this group that stayed here because they weren't really the Hyksos, but they were kind of loosely related and they were associated through this other group. So that gives the, them a, a chance for what's called a, a fifth column, if you're familiar with that phrase, where uh, if a city is being uh, attacked, so uh, militarily, uh, cities, uh, if you're going to defend a city, you kind of have to think of it being attacked from four different directions because the four corners of the earth or whatever, right? Well, the cardinal so, directions. Yeah, the yeah. cardinal directions. So you're going to, you want to be able to defend from four different columns. And if the city's well defended, uh, then you can probably do that. If you're ready for a siege, you can hold people out coming from all four sides. But if you have someone inside the city that helps the people outside the city, then you're in trouble. And so that's referred oh, to as the fifth column, the group I think that's I have inside the like city. That. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So what so, they're worried about is what if the Hyksos come back and then this group that's inside helps them. They rebel against us and we're dealing with an outside enemy and an inside enemy. We don't want that. And so the quickest answer, enslave them. Take away that threat. 
And so I, I don't know for sure that that's what happened, but I think there's a really likely chance that what's happened is the Theban uh, kings have taken over all of Egypt. They've expelled the Hyksos, and now they're worried about this other Semitic group in here that could be friendly to the Hyksos if the Hyksos were to ever come back. And so let's not have an inside threat. It's, it's, so the reaction is, uh, uh, sadly, a bit like Japanese internment camps in World War II. Right. And I'm not saying that that was right. And I'm not saying that any Japanese Americans were a legitimate threat, but that's the reaction that people had like, okay, well, if the Japanese are going to attack us, what if some of the people here help them? Right. I I think it was ridiculous, but, uh, but I understand that I understand the, the human reaction of fear is what it was. And I think that's exactly what happened to the Israelites. They were basically put in internment camps. Right. Okay. So, and, and by the way, I think you defined a little bit, but, Define again, just, just for everyone to be sure. In verse 11, it talks about Pithom and Ramses, and these are the former capital of the Hyksos. Define again the Hyksos. The Hyksos were the rulers that were... Yeah. So, so yeah, and you can go back to this uh, episode. I think it's like uh, geographic uh, and political insights into the Joseph story, something like that. I can't remember what it was, but an earlier, about two weeks ago, in an earlier episode of the podcast uh, to get more details on that. But it was a Semitic group that had set up in... Uh, the the northeastern part of the delta of Egypt that ended up taking over Egypt when Egypt started to fragment uh, politically within the country itself. This outside group took over somewhat militarily, largely um, economically uh, from an Egyptological point of view. And as I look at the Joseph story, it, it just matches really well with that time period. And when uh, you say Semitic group, you mean? They were from uh, initially probably coming from northeast Syria. But then right at the end, just before they t- uh, took over, the, we see an influx of people from kind of southern Canaan. Uh, so these are uh, people that uh, have languages and customs and cultures that are similar to the Israelites. So, right. So, it, but, but it could also include the Israelites, right? So, yeah, it, although I, I don't think the Israelites were probably part of the uh, that big buildup in a city called Avaris. But it's quite likely right. that that's who Joseph was working with, that the, the pharaoh that Joseph was working with was a Hyksos pharaoh, and that the selling uh, of land to pharaoh to get grain was part of the economic takeover uh, of the Hyksos. I, I don't know that for sure, but it just makes sense to me. So that's kind of the reason why I ask it that way is because this has always confused a lot of people that I've talked to. The Hyksos were not necessarily the Israelites, but the Israelites were yeah. trading with them. It might have included some of the, the Israelites might have been in that group. But we're talking about a group that traded with with the Egyptians and gained some power and influence over that part of, Israel, of Egypt. Right, right. So okay. it would be a little bit like saying, um, uh, I don't know, maybe the uh, you know Scandinavians. And Semites would be kind of similar, right? They've got similar cultures, related languages. Uh, at some point, they all come from it's just the same original star. Well, Semitic comes from Shem, right? So they're all descended, uh, descendants of Shem is the thought, right? Um, the way it's thought of. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, if the Norwegians were taking someone over and the, the Danes were also there, then you might be thinking, well, wait, are the Danes working with the Norwegians, right? And I'm not saying that it would ever actually happen or anything like that, but, but in terms of, uh, you know, different but related cultures, languages, uh, and uh, affinities, uh, it's something like that. Yeah, so I, I just want to 
kind of hopefully shed a little light on that so people know because we pass over this is the Hyksos capital of Varus and so forth, but yeah. people don't really get an idea of where that is. And the thing that I find interesting about this is there's a parallel to this with the Saints in Missouri. They have the same kind of thing that you've got this group of people that's becoming very strong. Uh, they're they're very tightly knit bonded together. You know they have strong families yeah. and things. And they start getting political power, and as soon as that happens, they start getting uh, what we might consider today a voting block. The people in the area are very threatened by that. They're like yep. these Mormons got to go, get them out there. Yep, it's the same thing that's happening here. It's the the Hyksos as well as the Hebrews that are in that area. I, I can't really say Hebrews because that's a later term, but the children of Israel, let's say the 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 children of Israel are there. They're they're getting power and it's making the the Egyptians the 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 solid core Egyptians that have been there a long time. It's making them nervous. Like, hey, we're getting a lot of outside influence here. They're starting to creep yeah. into our government. Yeah. Well, and, and the Hicksos actually take over. Yeah. So when you get rid of them, you you kind of say never again. We never yeah. ever ever want someone else ruling over us again. And and so you develop a, a deep hatred. And I think and, that the Israelites suffer from that deep hatred by association. Right. Okay. So, the, and that's what this, this king here is that comes into power in verse eight um, is the king that is one of the anti Hyksos, I guess you'd say. Yeah. And also sees the Israelites as being a similar threat. These are outsiders. They're not really Egyptian by birth. They've kind of just come in and hung out. They, they really need to get out. And, uh, and we, and like you said, the fifth column. So we need to make sure that these guys don't, corrupt us from within yeah sort of yeah yeah okay. I, I think that's exactly right so okay we don't know for sure but that sure makes sense historically it just seems to fit both in terms of if you're going to do stuff with numbers of years if you're going to do stuff with what's going on culturally uh, and, and historically it just all matches together really well so maybe not but it's our it's certainly our best case scenario and so your educated guess is this is do you, do you have an, a guess on what probably around 1550 1500 bc somewhere around okay. there so, and again, that works well because I, I don't know for sure, but I would guess the Exodus is somewhere between 1250 and 1200 BC. So if you're going to say uh, uh, that the Israelites are in Egypt for 400 years, you've got about 100 years of things going well and about 300 years of them not going well uh, in bondage. And uh, I mean, the, the, the scenario just seems to work fairly well. Okay. Do you any guesses as who this uh, king might this? King or ruler might be? Do we have? Uh, well, the one that uh, uh, first kicks the Hyksos out is probably, well, there are a couple of people. There's a guy named Second Ray and then Akhmosa. Um, uh, so, which one of them? I mean, they're, they're both involved in kicking the Hyksos out. Are they the ones that then said, oh, these Israelites could be trouble? Or is it uh, one of their, you know, couple, next generation or two generation descendants? I, I don't know. Um, and then, and we really don't know who the Pharaoh of the Exodus is, and that's worth talking about. I mean, I've, I've researched this a lot. I've written about this a bit. Um, we do not know who the Pharaoh of the Exodus is. People often will say Ramses II, second. and that's a, that's a decent guess, partially because of these cities that are named here uh, in verse 11, where it says, therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. Well, those are some cities that uh, were in the Avaris area, but uh, by then the capitals moved elsewhere, uh, and then it moves back up uh, around that area, but, um, uh, and that Ramses is associated with. Uh, there's another reason for it, uh, and th this is worth getting into. In some ways, this also 
takes us to the like period of Joshua, um, but uh, it's it, worth talking about now. The uh, first reference we have to Israelites uh, outside of the Bible is in a Stella set up. So a Stella is a big uh, stone that they stone. would carve on uh, pictures and, and text to say this cool thing happened or whatever, or decrees or uh, all sorts of things. And uh, an obelisk a, is a form of stela, isn't it? It kind of, yeah. It's, I mean, it's also yeah a lot bigger and it's also uh, an embodiment of the sun and some things like that. But sure. Um, so you, you get this stela that uh, Merneptah, who is the son of Ramses the Great or Ramses the uh, Second, Merneptah talks about um, going on a campaign up in the land of Canaan and mentions all the places that he destroys. And, he, uh, and Israel is one of them that he mentions. Uh, or that he he wins in battle. He always talks about he destroyed and completely conquered and wiped everyone out, right? But of course, he just won a battle. That's just how they say it. Um, and interestingly, in Egyptian, you have these um, little pictures. So, you know, hieroglyphs are all pictures. And you'll have some that don't have a, a, a phonetic value. Uh, you don't pronounce them. They're called determinatives. And they just show you kind of what category a word is. So you might have one that has an arm with a stick, and that means it's an action like the word before it was some kind of an action thing. Uh, so most of the places that he says he conquered or the groups that he says he conquered have after them the determinative of a city, which is the way you say that this was a, a people in a city and you know, it was a geographic, it's a people in a geographic area that I conquered. But for Israel, it's not the city, it's just the people, which gives you the idea, oh, this is before they've really set up cities this is uh, when they're they're kind of a, a group without a city uh, as it were which would make sense that this is uh it, during the the conquest phase uh under joshua's day or something along those lines right in, in the wilderness wandering or in the conquest phase and the egyptians come by and they have a battle with them and defeat them and the egyptians write about that and the israelites don't because you don't write about the battles you lose you write about the battles you win and and uh so that's why the Israelites talk about the Exodus and the Egyptians don't, and then the Egyptians talk about the that battle and the Israelites don't, right? But anyway, um, so is it fair to say that the that the heat that the uh, the Israelites at that point are still uh, somewhat nomadic and, and shepherding tribes? Probably, kind of like that's that, our right? best guess. I, I don't know that we can say for sure, but our best guess is that that's probably what's going on. Because we don't have a city that we can point to and say this is the city of. Yeah. Issachar or whatever, or, you know, whatever yeah. that tribe is. They still kind of hang out in tribes, but they yeah. are spread over a wider region. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe in, in tents still or something along that lines. Anyway, the right. Egyptians don't think of them as being geographically set or within a city is what it would seem. And that still is about 1205 um, BC. So again, this works fairly well. Uh, if you're thinking that Ramses is around 12, 50 or the Exodus is around 1250 and then you get 40 years of wandering uh then that would put you at you know 12 10 12 05 somewhere in there the Israelites are still working on getting established in the land so uh again I, we don't know for sure but the, a lot of little puzzle pieces point this direction very good all right so uh, well that's great information all that happens now and so that sets sets the stage for the political thing that happens, which this this pharaoh doesn't like, or he doesn't say pharaoh, this says king at this point. Yeah, uh, he doesn't like them. He says, "Let's deal wisely with them." In other words, let's be cunning about what we're doing here. Um, and he wants to, like you said, enslave them, and he sets that up so that hey, we're going to start treating these guys rough, and either they're going to die out or lose power or whatever it is. Um, 
and he made their first 14 and they, and they made their lives and they being the Egyptians there. Yeah. The, the, uh, yeah, 13, the Egyptians 13, and their taskmasters. Yeah. 13 says the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick. So they put them to work building stuff and they enslaved them basically. Yep. All right. So now we've gone from being, you know, a favored group and, you know, bouncing on Joseph's knee to now they're in, in some hard straits. We don't know exactly how long this is. It could be 400-ish years or so. And now we have them in bondage. And now is going to lay out the, the where Moses comes from. But before yeah. we get to Moses, anything else you want to say about here? Yeah, well, um, let's let's talk, uh, and I'd love to just walk us through a little bit here the rest of this chapter because I think that so now that it's set the stage that they are in bondage, it immediately transitions to the major theme of the Book of Exodus, right? And that is deliverance. I mean, and and it hits this theme right after this really really hard, and for uh, English speakers, it hits it uh, you know in a great play on words because. As he talks about delivering the Israelites, he, he, the first stage of it is about delivering babies. So, um, right, with these midwives that are, are, are doing delivering of babies. But that's the interesting thing is that um, the king of Egypt says to the midwives, start, start killing yeah. uh, these, these kids, right? Seems so, like a breach of duties for these midwives, but yeah, kill, all yeah. the, kill all the men. Keep the women, keep the girls, the little girls, but kill the men. Yeah, that's the, right. The boys, anyway. Yeah. And, uh, and so immediately the stage is set that Israel is not only in bondage, they're going to die off, right. but they're not going to because they're going to be delivered right? in more than one meaning of that word, right? So, because what you get, and I love this, verse 17, but the midwives feared God. Just what a great thing, right? They, they fear God more than Pharaoh, which is what God keeps asking us. Fear yeah. me more than the world, or in other words, listen to me, be persuaded by me more than you are persuaded by the world. So they feared God, or feared God, and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men, children alive. So the men, children who are destined to die are not dying; they're being delivered uh, by these these midwives. And the king of Egypt says, "Why are you doing this?" And they say, "Well, I tell you what." Uh, you know, you Egyptian women takes a long time to have a baby, but not Israelite men. When they have babies, they just have babies. If we get there, they're already had the baby. We can't do a thing about it. Right. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure the king of Jews going, whatever. But, yeah. um, uh, so then we get verse 20. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them houses, meaning that their, their houses, uh, their, their family, Made them comes, strong. Yeah, they're strong. They have lots of children, and 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 then they have lots of children, and, and this household or this name, this family is going to survive, right? Um, and so then Pharaoh says, "Okay, well, since they're not, I can't trust these midwives. I got to get the Egyptians involved. You start killing babies, right? Uh, just, yeah. just take care of this for me." Uh, so that's where we get the need for a different kind of deliverance, and that's where we get the the story of Moses himself coming up in verse chapter two. So, uh, but I love how the idea of, of God saving people who are destined for death, uh, which is what deliverance is really all about. Right. Uh, hits us immediately. As soon as we get into the, the fact that, okay, they're, they're in need of deliverance. Now let's see the, the, the deliverance starts to happen. Right. And they use the word feared twice in verse 17 and in verse 20 and other places you'll see feared respected. It's, it's often translated respected. This isn't fear yeah. as in like, 
oh, don't hurt me, fear. This is the fear. Is that, wait, I mean, it could be that. Like, I don't want to mess with that. Yeah. But it's also, it's, it's, it's a healthy respect, let's say, yeah. for this. So the, the midwives have a healthy respect for that for whatever reason. I don't know why they do that. It's just well, it's they because they, they, they think that what God says is more important than what Egypt yeah. or the Pharaoh says, and they'd rather cross Pharaoh than God. And is it because they believe in, in Yahweh or, you know, yeah. in that God, or is it because they see the example of the, of the Hebrews? I well, I think they're, they're, they're Israelite midwives. Oh, 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 okay. So that's, oh, that's a great point. Um, cause in some earlier in there, I thought it was, they were talking about the Egyptian midwives. No, I, which, I think that these are, so speak to the Hebrew midwives. Oh, see, there you in go. Verse oh, they 15, do, so. Well, they're there. They do call it Hebrew here. So I can yeah. use that word now. I can call it. Hebrew. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they do Hebrew. Midwives. Okay. So, so yeah, they do have respect and they're like, Look, I, I don't, you're the King, but you're not God. So yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and if I could get our youth to pay attention to anything, it would be this, right? Fear God more than the world, but more than the world. It, we, we fear whether people will think, uh, uh, poorly of us because of our stances on, um, uh, same sex issues or, uh, moral issues and these kinds of things. We fear the world more than God on so many of these things. Uh, uh you know, it's, it's sad anyway. Well, that's great. Well, that sets the stage. I, we're kind of at a hard stop here, so let's leave it with the end of Exodus here, and we're going to meet Moses in the next uh, chapter, and I'm excited to get into that. There's so many things that happen in these next uh, four chapters that uh, there's so much to talk about, but if again, we're against a hard stop now, so let's uh, let's leave it with the end of, uh, of Exodus 1 and uh, Exodus 2. We're going to meet Moses, and we're going to start talking about all the good things that happened from then on. Sounds good. Sounds good Good and me. hard things, too, so. Yeah. Well, Carrie, great to be with you again. And for all those listening and or watching, thanks for joining us on The Scriptures Are Real. I'm Lamar, and this is Carrie, and we've enjoyed being with you today. I uh, hope you got something out of this. And if you did, share it uh, around, and let's uh, let's teach some more people to, to get into the Scriptures. Get, get your hands in there and, and uh, get to know and love the Scriptures. Absolutely. All right. See you next time. <laughs>